Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. If you're going to grow your company, it will require cash whether from cash flow that you generate from business operations, loans from the bank, or maybe a combination of the two, cash is the fuel that propels you forward. From that perspective, it makes sense to understand the numbers in your company as best as possible. Today, we're speaking with Hernan Ricarte, president and co-owner of Ricarte Precision, a precision manufacturer in Southern California. Hernan and his sister bought the business from their parents in 2016. We go into the weeds on financial attributes of a shop and discuss, amongst other things, GAP, an accounting concept, how the shop has transformed over the last five years so that it now has more monitors and people, and how living and working in Japan for almost 20 years has shaped how Hernan looks at running a company. This was really good stuff. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The paperless platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote to cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Hernan. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to talk. Yeah. So excited to have you on because as we were talking a little bit before to get ready, there's some interesting areas that are not commonly talked about on the show with other guests that I want to get into with you. And the first one is accounting. And Mm -hmm. because of your partner, we'll get into that a little later, but you and your company have a very strong accounting skill set and expertise and understanding. And to give the audience a frame of reference. You're not a particularly large company. You're not small, but can you just give us a 
sense of who Riccardi Precision is? Sure. So we're a precision machine shop in Southern California. We have about 36 employees. We've been growing over the past few years. We have 26 CNC machines, five axis, Swiss screw, wire EDM. So a bit of different technologies over one roof, but, but yeah, but we're growing and we're trying to do that in a very organized, disciplined manner. And you've decided that accounting is important and you are working this year to implement GAP. Correct. Could you tell me what GAP is? <laughs> sure. It's a generally accepted accounting practices. So from my perspective, it, it is the necessary language in order to communicate not only internally to be uh, proactive and not reactive and understand you know, what is going on on a month to month basis, but also, you know, not, we're not in a position to, to be selling our company or anything like that, but we always have to have a good assessment of what is going well, what's not going well, how we need to pivot. And we believe that gap is super important in order to, you know, have a very clear windshield as we drive forward. We used QuickBooks at Rapid. Mm -hmm. How is that different from a shop owner who has QuickBooks or maybe is using the accounting in their ERP package? What does Gap go beyond and do for you? I don't have a, an SAP system or anything like that, but I think it comes down to the discipline working with you know good advisors, good accountants in order to help implement that discipline. You know, I'm not an accountant by any stretch, and and you know even to me, you know, talking about five axes and YRDM and things like that is more exciting than talking about Gap. But we do appreciate the importance of it for us. And I think maybe, you know, quite a few machine shops, we go through this situation where one month we do great. The cash flow looks good. P&L looks good. The next month we get a hit, but mm -hmm. we didn't necessarily, business isn't going down. Business is not getting worse. Maybe we just had an influx of jobs that came in. We had to purchase a lot of material that particular mm -hmm. month and we haven't released the, the parts yet. So with GAP, it allows you to, you know, do your books. You're able to accrue for the expenses based on the job. So everything from a job costing and things like that, you know, are super important. And that is what GAP allows you to do. It's the discipline in order to accrue for expenses, accrue for amortization and things like that in a real-time basis. So for example, if you're using... CAD software and you, we use SolidWorks and we had a annual renewal contract and we ended up accruing that across the year because it was a pretty big hit, but it would only occur in one month, whereas mm -hmm. we used it across the year. Is that the type of thing you're talking about? Yes. What led me to gap accounting was really job costing. That's what, where it started from, for me, you know, it, it had always been on the back of my head, you know, and, and if maybe you take a few steps back, the, the way I got started in the business, it's a family business that we have, we've been around for 36 years. I was doing something completely different. I jumped into this opportunity about five and a half years ago. And the reason I jumped in was because my father was thinking of selling the business. And at that point, he had a couple of consultants and people that were, you know, helping him value the company and things like that. And my brother-in-law, who is a ex-CFO of a publicly traded pharmaceutical company, and my sister also has a finance background, we three were looking at the opportunity and helping my father assess. And because we weren't set up 
you know, with a, a gap accounting practices, it was very difficult for us to speak the same language with potential buyers and mm-hmm. for us to understand what was going on on a month-to-month basis. So that that's the so, first. So a buyer might look at a month and say, because of the way you were accounting for your cost, you didn't make money this month and you made a lot of money this month. It looks like a yo-yo and it's too unpredictable for me. With that and also, you know, even when my sister and I, and we were looking at the business, we couldn't really tell which customers mm. were um, most profitable for us and which were not. And so, you know, now being in the position that I'm in right now, the importance of that is not overlooked. But at the same time, you know, we as, as machine shop owners, you know, live in this little quadrant where everything is important, everything is urgent. So it's very difficult for us to take a step away and organize ourselves and prioritize that organization and that discipline. But after growing a bit and having thought about it for for a long period of time, now we are digging in our heels and focused on making that an initiative this year. Which accounting software do you use? Uh, we, We use QuickBooks as well. Okay. So GAP can be implemented within QuickBooks. Absolutely. It's just the discipline. Yes. Okay. And with the financial background of your sister and your brother-in-law, does that give you the ability to figure out how to implement? Or are you going to go outside and work with your CPA and maybe other consultants? Yes. So, you know, my sister and my brother-in-law have been a great help providing a lot of insight. Um, my sister is now getting more involved in the business. I mean, mm-hmm. she lives two hours away, so you know she doesn't come here very often, but I'm getting her involved now. We are uh, changing our CPA because again, you know we're family business. It was not a huge priority for me at, at the time over the past mm-hmm. couple of years, but now it is. So we are bringing in people that have that understanding. And you know we, we just want to make sure that we're working with people that are on the same page. And will help us do the heavy lifting because it is, it's a heavy lift. I want to get into changing a CPA, but you had mentioned before we get off the gap and some of the accounting things that you were at an NTMA meeting mm-hmm. and gap came up in succession planning. So, yeah, I was at an NTMA um, event, Engage West um, last week here in Costa Mesa. Mm-hmm. And there were some good sessions relative to, you know, running businesses and things like that. And one of them was succession planning. There was a group there that looks for opportunities to purchase machine shops, basically. And one of the discussions was Gap, which I thought was fantastic because that's exactly what you know we're trying to do here, not to sell our business, but to better run our business and make our business more valuable. And to me, it did not seem that a lot of machine shop owners were interested or really appreciated it. And you know, oftentimes, you know, we've got into situations where machine shop owners are either extremely good machinists, you know, or, or engineering people, or, you know, sometimes salespeople or what have you, but they do what's comfortable to them. And as long as they're making money and they, you know, some people maybe look mainly at cash flow or they look at PL at the end of the year because they understand that their cycles throughout the year, what have you. But I don't think there was a real appreciation for Gap because everyone, has gotten comfortable in doing things by feel as opposed to having hard numbers to assess their businesses and having hard numbers in order to pivot 
when necessary. You know, things like you've spoken about, you know, very, very well, you know, firing your customers and things like that are hard decisions that we need to make in order to grow. You know, and without these hard decisions and without these disciplines, then I think we're doing ourselves a disservice. I'm thinking about the owners in that discussion, and you talked about why some of them are putting accounting, I guess, to the side. What do you think that they are giving up by not considering being more structured and intentional with some of their accounting practices? Well, I mean, I I think they have some good ingredients. They're good machine shops, strong machine shops that are profitable. Yeah, Yeah, obviously they're doing well and they're making money, but... But they're leaving a lot you know, off the table, basically, because they don't have all the disciplines in place. And I think it's just human nature, right? I mean, if you're not comfortable, you don't really understand something, then you'll just stay back and and do what your customers are doing. Well, and you framed it another way, as small business owners, there's always important and urgent tasks Mm -hmm. and priorities. And you, at least I did, gravitated towards the ones that you like to do or right. you knew how to do. Right. So it's I think a balancing. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's one, you know, you know, machine shop owner, what have you, that having discussions like this and he basically put his arm around my, my shoulder and said, Hey, Hernan, you know, we, as a uh, shop owners, we're never trained to be shop owners. We're just doers and we get it done. Yep. And my thought, Oh my God, God, that's not what I want. That's not the bucket I want to be in. We as small machine shop owners struggle because we don't have the luxury, you know, or the resources to hire an expert in HR, an expert in marketing, an expert in finance, an expert in in a controller, what have you. And that's where I, at least I want to go. So I think all these disciplines and areas that are important, and maybe you don't have a certain comfort level with, then, you know, if you don't have the talent internally, then yes, then it is time to to bite the bullet and step out and bring someone in that has that experience. Both as a internal team member and an outside resource, Mm -hmm. most likely. Yeah. And so let's take that and talk about changing CPAs. My perspective was until I got comfortable with the numbers and, and the way that I got comfortable with the numbers and we did not implement gap, but I, would come in on the weekend and I would go into QuickBooks and I would look at all the the numbers and I changed the, I created new uh, accounts and reordered stuff. And I I kept arranging it so that I would understand it and things went into a logical place. And that's how I got comfortable with numbers. But before then, the CPAs, they were almost this mystical (laughs) figure with a black box where my numbers went in and they they waved their wand and at the end of the year, they told me how much I had to pay in taxes and that sort of thing. So it's hard to be comfortable changing a CPA when you don't understand what they do right? and understand what's going on in that black box. How can a shop owner, and maybe you can tell it in the way that you're looking at it and changing CPAs, but how can a shop owner understand whether their CPA is doing a good job for them and what are the things they should be looking for? So for me, I like 
to look and review the numbers every month, of course, at, you know, the first week of the following month, I want to look and have a clear picture of what happened the previous month. And it was just a growing you frustration. Go ahead. When you say you want to look at the numbers, what specific numbers do you look at every month mm-hmm. to tell you what's going on for the health of financial health of your business? Well, I mean, to date, it's been, it's, you know, it's P&L, so I'm looking at cash flow, I'm looking at COGS, you know, cost of goods, I'm looking at, you know, material cost, tooling You costs, have ratios or percentages? How do yes. You, how do you look at those? Do you keep those tracked on a separate spreadsheet by month? Do you compare them to a budget? How, yeah. I, I really want to get in the nitty gritty <laughs> and understand yeah. what, what are you, what are you looking for? What are you doing with those numbers? Okay. So at, at the beginning of, of the year, yes, we set a plan together. And we have uh, revenue targets, we have gross margin targets, and then we have our percentage, yes, of cost of goods to revenue. Now, so, is that a plan by month, by quarter, or a number for the year? A number for the year. Okay. Because they're ratios, right? But mm-hmm. in, in reality, it's a little bit silly because it's not that accurate. Let's say February 5th, I look at January's numbers, and I'm looking at our cost of goods to revenue ratio, it's not really accurate. Whatever we spent on outside processing, on tooling, on material payroll, doesn't necessarily reflect you know, the, the sales mm-hmm. ratio with, with, of that month. You know, so, because you know, the, you're spending money in advance before you're shipping. In exactly. Money. Yeah. After a while, you see a trend and you get comfortable with it, but it's not truly accurate. So that's been a frustration. It's, it's, you know, it's like I'm fooling myself at, at every month. And at the same time, like you mentioned, at the end of the year, your accountant puts all the numbers together and he says, hey, you got to pay this much in tax or whatever. I, I don't want any surprises. Our business, it's not like we're selling software here. You know, we're selling medical devices or anything with, with very high margins. Sometimes it can be very cutthroat, especially here in California, where, you know, we really have to drive efficiency in order to maintain our profitability. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you know, we go through these issues right now in Ukraine, for example, or we go through COVID and things like that, we, we just need to have everything very, very well organized in order to work through the peaks and valleys of, of the business cycle. So, you know, there's some things that you just have to deal with. But for me, just having not only an understanding of what happened the previous month, as we've been looking at it to date, I really need to understand if we're really making money or not based on, you know, what Gap can provide to us. The CPA who you've been working with, how mm-hmm. often did you talk with them? Okay, well, I'm hoping our, that CPA does not listen to this podcast. So we talked probably twice a month, I would say. And, you know, it, that, that, that's, I think, good because mm-hmm. I did not talk to my CPA anywhere near that frequency. So mm-hmm. what is that driven by you or by him? Mutual. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's a family business. So he had been my uh, mom and dad's CPA for the business for several years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when I joined the company, I pick and chose my battles. Okay. And, you know, what I wanted to change in that, you know, going with low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. And there's various things that I wanted to have organized and, and planned out. And it wasn't really getting to where I needed it to be. And then also growth. Mm-hmm. We were getting to a point where 
we were getting a little bit bigger and maybe from a size perspective, more than he's accustomed to, to working with. When you were talking to him twice a month, what sort of things are you talking about? There was some repetition relative to really wanting to get better organized, you know, and then there was, you know, little what, details. What, what does that mean? I think gap was one topic that I was letting him know, hey, listen, you know, I know we're busy, you're busy, mm -hmm. what have you, but we really need to focus on this. I really want to get there. And there were some discussions and steps in that direction, but it wasn't there. I didn't feel the commitment there. So we would sort of spin our wheels relative to gap quite a bit, you know, but that there was also detailed issues, upfront payments, you know, how that was allocated, mm -hmm. you know, when is a good time to purchase a, a machine? you know, and, and helping, asking for his help in, in trying to work out the numbers and then see when that return investment would, would be seen and things like that. So it was just, I used him as a reference and a balancing board for ideas and things I was thinking relative to purchases and expenses and, and payroll and things like that. Are you still in the same facility when you bought the company from your folks? Yes. Yes. So the, so a building hasn't come into play yet. Correct. And how many CNC machines have you roughly bought since you took them? Gosh, probably seven or eight. And have you financed those through a bank? Are you leasing them? Did you purchase cash? And how did you come at that decision? That was with your CPA. Yeah. So, so we financed pretty much all, all of them, I believe. And it's because uh, I wanted to grow. So I was buying more machines than our accountant wanted me to. When I started here, we had about 18, 19 CNCs, but we didn't have a five axis. We didn't have a live tooling lathe and we didn't have too much automation here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the you know older machines that we've got, you know, as, as I'm sure is the case in, in most machine shops, you know, you, you get a good lathe or a good mill. Those things will last as long as you take care of them. Right. And well, so we've got, you know, good. yeah, so, so we've got some good machines there, but at the same time for automation, things like that, we needed to step up. So that's where I, I uh, made the decision against our accountant's suggestions and went ahead and bought so some. Why, why didn't he want you to buy them or buy as many? It, it, it's an understanding of the business as well. You know, why are you going to buy a 300000 or $800,000 mill when yeah. you guys bought, you know, mills for 120000 the last time? You know, and I understand it, you know, how quickly we can recover and, and, and to pull into the bright type of business was. Did you was a, write a business plan for your five axis or any of the. No, I, I put some spreadsheets together, but I wouldn't call it a business plan per se. I remember one of my mentors and one of the, I call them the gray haired guys, which I probably am one of them now. We bought our first laser at Rapid and he said. I understand your gut's telling you to do it, Jay, but mm. do me a favor and write a one-page business plan justification, no more than one page, telling me, but essentially taking all this stuff out of your head and making sure it gets down on paper so that you understand and you can reference back why you bought this machine and people look back and say, later, did you... What did you underestimate or right. overestimate? And it, yeah. it, was, it was actually a really good tool, you know, particularly yeah. since we're buying, a, we're buying a machine that was roughly 50% of the revenue of the company at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's an excellent practice. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. I mean, I, I put some stuff together and I have looked back on, 
on it, you know, at the end of the year and things like that. And it is a learning process for sure. Before we step away from the CPA, mm-hmm. when you are searching for someone who will help you bring in GAP, how are you interviewing the potential candidates for the new CPA role? We're still in the process, Jay. I mean, I haven't, I, I think I know who I'm going to work with, but we haven't fully decided. I am bringing in my sister to help in the process. So it's how, not... You said you, you think you know who you're going to work with. How did you, how many have you talked to already? And what what gives you that vibe for the this firm as opposed to other ones you may have talked to? So the group that um, we're thinking of working with have and do have clients with similar businesses. So I think that's really important. And another thing is if these guys are willing to listen or if they're just trying to like spoon feed you their own template, mm-hmm. um, you know, has been important to us, but, but it's still, we're going through the process. Not only that, but I'm getting my sister and I'm probably going to get my brother-in-law involved in, in this process as well. So they can interview and, and ask uh, questions that, you know, I probably would not have thought of, in but I think many- it, how many and, firms have you talked to? Uh, three. And how did you find them? Through colleagues, other machine shop owners, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and and other CPAs who introduced as well. Well, this to me was really interesting because I, I like numbers, and yeah. there's so much power when you understand the numbers. And mm-hmm. at least I, in the beginning, I didn't understand the numbers and they sort of ruled me. And once I mm-hmm. put those hours into manipulating all the stuff in QuickBooks, I, I have to say we had a financial person who would come in. She acted more like a controller and, and she'd come in on Monday and she'd say, were you in QuickBooks again this weekend? Yeah. Because this, this, and this. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about QuickBooks for better or worse, is that you can change things quickly. So she would change back things that I messed up and she'd right. tell me how I messed them up. So that actually helped me learn QuickBooks even more. So you touched upon some of the differences between your shop today and where it was when you bought it in 2016. Could you talk a little more about what the shop was like in 2016 and where you are today and the maybe intentional as well as non-intentional things that you've done to get to where you are today. Right. So, yeah. So in in 2016, we had around 20 employees. Mm -hmm. We were in the same building. We had slightly fewer machines and my father in a way, and it is, you know, may sound disrespectful, but in a way to me, he was sort of running the business in third gear he'd done what he had to do. He, you know, put my sister and I through college and, mm-hmm. and, you know, he, you know, he was comfortable and he just didn't really want to grow it or anything like that too much. Well, it, it worked for him. It yeah. gave him, it gave him a probably comfortable paycheck. Right. And there wasn't hopefully a lot of stress in his life. Right. Well, I don't know about that, but. but <laughs> <laughs> Manageable um, stress. Yes, yes, yes. So, so yeah, when when I joined, we didn't have uh, 
ISO. We didn't have AS9100. We weren't ITART, you know, registered or anything like that. And we were not doing too much in the aerospace defense area as well, of course. Mm-hmm. And most of the business was, that was coming in was word of mouth, as I guess it is, still is. But there weren't uh, too many, there weren't really departments per se. Visually, I guess the difference in our shop now is that we went from you know, maybe three, four guys sitting behind monitors to now we have, gosh, well over 40, 50 monitors in the company just because we're trying to go digital and, and More uh, monitors just, than people. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, there's a reason for that. I want to automate. I want to communicate. I want to make people accountable. So when I joined, I found that there was, you know, I think my father had too much of the stress. You know, he had the most urgency in the shop as, you know, most shop owners do. And I wanted to sort of build more of a team, build more accountability, better define roles and responsibilities and, and start getting people on board. So, you know, we were a little bit more on the same page and they could appreciate the, the ups and downs of, of growing the business. So over the past five and a half years, you know, we've implemented ERP systems, you know, we have certain, you know, a ISO, AS9100, we're ITAR registered. We started with one ERP system. We're transitioning into a a paperless system now that we're really, really excited about. We have a digital quoting system in place now, which has worked out really, really well for us. Programming software, we're changing over as well to something a bit more advanced. You know, we're doing a little bit more on the education side as well, relative to tooling and, and how we run jobs and things like that. So it's taken time, but yeah, it's been it's been an interesting five and a half years. So, with all these monitors that obviously are attached to computers, mm-hmm. you are digitizing more and more in your shop. And how does that allow you to work more in real time? What is having information digitally instead of maybe on paper routers? Oh, how man, does that, how does that? positively impact your business? Yeah. So so there's a number of things. The first thing that comes to mind, and I don't know if it was specifically your question, but for us, what drives me crazy is things falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, in, in our type of business, as you know very well, you know, we're dealing with outside processing, we're dealing with pur- purchasing material, we're purchasing tools, you know, sometimes when the program changes, we have to buy different tools. So there's all of these things going on. And in order to avoid things from falling through the cracks, we believe in dashboards. And that is something that this new system that we're implementing right now is helping us with. Which, you know, which, which system is ProShop? It's the system I looked at two years ago, and I'm kicking myself um, for not jumping on this before. It is, it is heavy lifting for sure. But you know, it, because we're digital now, we're, we're, you know, we're in the process still. We have monitors at the machines and it forces our guys to check off things before they take a next step. You know, mm-hmm. with paper, someone can scribble something, the papers get lost. You know, you have changes midstream mm-hmm. in the fabrication of a part. And if you have to change something, you have to go run and chase the paper down and then make changes, you know, with, mm-hmm. with the documents that's out, that are out there and things like that. When you're digital, you can make these changes real time. You have visibility on everything going on in the shop. You've got dashboards at shipping, at quality, and in all these different areas so that those individuals in those departments are accountable you know, for what's going on. They, they can better prioritize. They see what's coming to them and what is expected of them. 
So it, it, it is just uh, very, very important, again, just to, to you know, drive efficiency and consistency and quality. I love it. And when you purchased the shop, mm-hmm. how many shifts were there? One. Now we have two. And the technology, perhaps you could talk about how that having two shifts better makes it so things don't fall through the cracks between shifts. Yeah. So again, you know, with ProShop, there are some features in place so that you are able to communicate between shifts. Mm-hmm. So prior to, we had notebooks and things like that, where the guys would take notes down and every machine had a notebook and the guys were required to, you know, mm-hmm. jot things down in the notebook as well as the travelers and things like that. But the, you know, ProShop, you know, was developed by a group of very smart guys that ran a machine shop very successfully and sold it after 17 years or so. Sounds like yeah. a familiar story, <laughs> but they, and they, you know, they had been developing the, the software and using it within their shop because they didn't see any off-the-shelf solutions. So it, it is very intuitive and it's developed by people who struggle just as we do on a day-to-day basis. And so it's very intuitive in sharing information between shifts. As far as two shifts are concerned in general for us, it's been great because again, we're not, you know, we don't do only production. You know, we, we have short runs, we have long runs, we have a, a mix of, of, of everything out there. And so there's a lot of moving parts, no pun intended. And so by having the two shifts, we're able to complete setups, you know, we're able to, you know, continue on and, you know, doing our first article in process and things like that in quality. So we're able to run far more efficiently than having the lights on for eight to 10 hours and then having the lights off. Also, you know, although we're as automated as, as possible, Still, you know, we're working with machines and sometimes there's issues with the bar feeder. There's issues with the pallet system. There's issues with tooling, even if you, if you have redundancy in place. So, you know, having an extra set of eyes and ears for a longer period of time throughout the day helps. Do you ever run anything lights out? Oh, yes. Yes. A lot on the lathes wire and on, on the, on the mills. I think having more than one shift and we found actually it was easier to staff third shift and second shift to just the folks who like to work either that, either they like to work or family situations mm-hmm. put them in a place where third shift is, is the really good shift for them they tend to stay longer and second shift was harder for yeah. us to, to mm-hmm. fill but what you were just talking about it really shows whether the systems you put in place work or not mm-hmm. because there's a lot of communication that should happen between shifts and in your case when first shift comes in after second shift hasn't been there for eight hours or so there has to be a mechanism a really strong mechanism to make mm-hmm. sure that things don't fall through the cracks right no no absolutely and and yeah. And having, you know, tons of monitors out there is, you know, worthwhile investment. You don't have to go crazy and, and buying the best monitors. I and mean, we have TVs out there. We just, again, have to turn them off at the end of the night just so they last longer. But having the technology and information out there helps tremendously with education as well. Paperless parts, you know, I have to mention how that has impacted our business as well, because not only are we able to 
share information during the quoting process and having it centralized digitally mm-hmm. is huge. And the communication with the customers and the vendors because of the, you know, not only the chats, but also sharing, the, you know, solid or rather 3D images, you know, with customers when you need to explain. Could you, for people who aren't familiar with the viewer chat tool within PayPal's parts, could you describe that a little bit and then how you're using it both internally and externally? Uh, it's awesome. It, it Honestly. So for us, it, it you know, just as uh, communication is extremely important to have with the customer, good communication with your vendors is extremely important as well. We appreciate them and we need to keep them as informed as possible so that they can work efficiently and we could be at the top of the list for them when they hear from us. So we want to make it easy for them. So one example for us, I think is quite easy to understand is if you're anodizing something, you need to mask. You know, what we used to do is to print out, you know, color coded or whatever, annotate it, you know, redact it and then send it over, Um, you know, laborious multiple steps. If you, if you, you know, have to list out what you need to do just in that simple process, it's, it's ridiculous. With paperless parts, we're able to, with one click, open up the viewer of a 3D um, image. We're able with two clicks to to annotate where we want the parts masked. We can add little notes or whatever. And we send that to, in, in a chat in the system, we send that to our vendor. Our vendor, they receive an email and all they do is literally click the link and they get the exact image, annotated image that we were we were looking at. So we can jump on the phone and have a quick discussion or they immediately understand. So yeah, they have to sign up and it's literally them just putting their email and and a simple password, but that's it. But once you've got a a vendor on board with that, you are on the top of the list because they know they're going to have all of the information they need and they can quickly, you know, quote the jobs for you. But not only with the vendors, but you can do the same thing with the customers. Sometimes buyers don't have SolidWorks and you know other right. um, CAD software, so they have quick images and they can ha- get a better understanding of what you're trying to explain to them. Mm-hmm. But internally as well, you know, we've got all of these monitors out on the floor next to the machines, and we set up our our machinist out there as as customers. And if they want to see a 3D model or what, we just send it to them one click on on the link, and they have. Uh, visibility of a 3D model right there on a large monitor right next to them. So they've got the drawing, they've got the 3D model if they need it, they've got, you know, whatever other information we need to provide them right there. So it forces them to be accountable. So I, I love how you're using it. And if I could add a little bit, so if you're listening, this is not a copy of the 3D data. What paperless sends out is a link to where the file is stored in the cloud. So somebody outside your company and somebody inside your company, they are never actually getting the files. So this keeps it ITAR compliant. And you, as if you wanted to delete that chat so that the plater never saw it again, you can delete it and they click on the link. They don't have access to it anymore. The other- yeah, I'm sorry. And you can also set it so that, you know, the link is alive for 24 hours or, or whatever mm-hmm. time you, you provide. Yeah. So you never have multiple copies of files, mm-hmm. which 
you, you know, trying to manage all that stuff is crazy. Mm-hmm. What is unique is if you create an annotation that saves specifically to the chat. And mm-hmm. the other great thing about that is if you, I remember how we sort of came up with this, we were working with a screw machine shop and a fairly large one. And the estimator was telling us how he would had a question. He'd walk out to the floor. Somebody's on break. He leaves them a post-it note. They come in to look for him. And it's a five-minute walk right. each time. And he's on the phone with somebody. So it may take two days to get his question answered, whereas somebody can answer the question at their convenience. And there's a record. So right. when the order comes in two weeks, four weeks later, they can't say, no, I never signed up for that. Right. Right here. Yeah, yeah. I can I can go on and on about paperless as well. I mean, for us, I mean, it was it was a potpourri of you know spreadsheets and emails and printouts and sometimes post-its and things like that. And now everything is digital. It's you know on on the actual quote in paperless. So you know, it, I don't. You're right. I, you don't have. We don't have to go and bother our programmers, our quality guys, or anyone. If I've got a question, I can annotate, shoot it off to them, and at their convenience, like you mentioned, they can take a look at it and and uh, send me back the response that I need. And then in the future, if we need to reference something, there's no you know scavenging around for you know information. You know, a few weeks later, and then also we can automate. If the customer comes back and said, no, you know, I, I don't want 50, I want 200. Well, it's, it's a lot easier to do once you have everything digital and, and, you know, it automatically calculates what you had initially put into the system. So, you know, it, it's been fantastic for us. Yeah, we've been, we've been fortunate. One piece that I would also add is that the viewer typically is focused around a 3D model, but you have the ability to attach a PDF of a print or other information, maybe a specification. So there's a lot of information that can be included in the chat beyond the 3D model. Right. You went through onboarding recently with paperless parts and could you talk about that experience? Yeah, so paperless parts hires athletes, which I think is very interesting. And uh, these guys are driven and they're excited, you know, and it's really cool. And one thing that I think is interesting is the two individuals that we work with, El Naz and Jack, shout out to them because they did an excellent job. But those two guys are not machine shop people. And usually we think, oh, you know, they're not going to understand us or whatever, but they provided such great perspective in how to use the technology and and what is available within the technology. And I think that's important too, because, you know, they're, they're young, you know, very tech savvy. And when we were onboarding, we had six people in the room on, on the calls and on video chats or video calls rather. And it was great. It was very, very interactive and super positive. And they worked at, you know, the speed that we needed to, but the thing about paperless is that it's not a a force fed template that you guys push onto the customer. You know, there is customization and it's set up in a way that is comfortable um, for the way you run your shop and the way you do your quoting. So all the technology is there, but they help organize it so that you're comfortable with it and it can be implemented efficiently in the shop. What sort of specific things did the onboarding help you discover or recognize that you may not have 
been aware of before the onboarding process? Um, that we're quoting too low. So, you know, we, we do, we quote a lot, you know, we're, I don't know, on a busy day or whatever, we, we might have, you know, to push out maybe eight, 10 quotes of multiple line items to a customer. And we want to be fast. And when you're fast, you tend to knee jerk and you overlook things. I think paperless has helped us not to overlook things because, you know, the categories are there. And because we're able to collect the information more efficiently, we're able to work with more accurate information in a more timely manner so that we can assess and, and spit out quotes faster. You know, when you're in a rush, you might think, oh gosh, you know, I'm really curious about this, but I don't have time to talk, grab the programmers right now or, mm-hmm. you know, or, or with quality, you know, we don't quite have enough time to review this. Let's just eyeball it or what have you. Well, you know, I'm avoiding that now. And because we're able to communicate more efficiently, I'm able to capture all that information and avoid some of the mistakes or, you know, that we, that we made in the past. So you're, it's not slowing you down. No, it's speeding us up. And when you say pricing low, then it sounds like you were pricing low because you didn't include operations or something as opposed to in general, your pricing was your, your hourly rates were too low. I, I think for, for sure, we were overlooking things definitely more than we do now hmm. before. But as far as quoting low, that has probably, I, I think I've, better understood that because I've had a little bit more time to go back and review what we've Mm -hmm. quoted. And that being stated, I think the combination of paperless parts and ProShop, where we're able to dig in and look at job costing a little bit more, has really helped us open our eyes to how we're quoting jobs, how we're running jobs. And all of that is directly linked to Gap as well. You know, so uh, honestly, those two technologies help us in implementing Gap. Right. If you don't have the information, it's hard to implement Gap. Right. Yeah, I mean, someone mentioned to me that we have a lot of data, but we don't have enough information. There's all this data out there, but sure. we're just not collecting and making use of it. Sure. Well, I want to tie in a piece of your background that's unique, that probably is not common to many shop owners, and that's your path after college. I wanted to make sure we included that and get some insights on how that makes you look at running a business perhaps differently. Could you share that? Sure. So, yeah, so I grew up in Southern California. I got an economics degree, which taught me how to read a newspaper. And then I went to Japan. I'd always had interest in in Japan. You know, when I was in high school back in the day, it was uh, Toyota and all these companies were growing. And, you know, they're from an industry standpoint, an economic standpoint, Japan had fantastic growth. So I went there. I studied the language. I went through the, uh, the the Japanese proficiency tests. And I got to a point where I was able to get a job at a Japanese company. And in the Japanese company, you know, speaking Japanese, writing, reading Japanese, everything was in Japanese, which was- How long did that take? Intensely three years. So it was great because I was studying with a bunch of Chinese and Korean kids, which, you know, really forces you to to challenge yourself. But so, yeah, so I started working in the medical device um, industry, transitioned a little bit into healthcare, 
And we were involved in hospital management, cardiovascular services throughout Japan and private hospitals. So, you know, I lived there in total for a little over 10 years. My second son was born there and then my West Japanese, but it allowed me to, to not only understand better understand the, the culture there, but it helped me understand how, you know, the culture that I grew up with here in, in the United States. It, it's very clear that the Japanese um, have an incredible attention to detail. And that starts from schooling, that starts from being well-organized, having your studies well-organized and things like that. You know, there's pride in the organizations that people join, you know, it, lifetime employment and things like that. It's not as strong as it used to be, but again, you know, it, March, you know, everyone wears the same exact uniform. Everyone goes through interviews at, at different companies at the same time. And the, the thought is still, you know, I'm going to join this company and I'm going to be there for life. And so there's great pride. You go to different companies and even, you know, senior executives are wearing the uniform. And uh, so, you know, there's, there's a pride, there's a attention to detail and then continuous improvement, not only as an individual, but as a group in the whole. You know, so it, it was very impressive to me. It still is very impressive to me. You know, there's there's negatives, you know, there's nothing's perfect. Sometimes it does stun creativity. You know, there's a little bit too much bureaucracy in some things that go on in Japan and Japanese companies and things like that. But there's a lot of very, very good things that come out of, of those organizations as well. And then you look back at, at us and sometimes we're a little bit too rough, a little bit too disorganized, you know, a little bit too careless, but at the same time, we are incredibly creative. We have we focus attention on what is super important to us and not so much in, in other things. So I think there's pluses and minuses to, to both sides. But for me, in this organization, joining the, the family business and, and running the family business, yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, I, I think I've incorporated some of what I learned there in the company here. Can you give us some examples? Well, you know, one of our value statements is attention to detail. It is teamwork. We don't have the brand new building or anything like that, but being clean, you know, cleaning up, you know, after yourselves, making your work area look better at the end of the day than when you came in. Just taking pride in, in, in what you do, I think is extremely important. Also for us, if you're not a team player, this is not the place for you. And I think, you know, small businesses like ours have the tendency after several years to have people that maybe aren't team players, but just know how to do something and you get comfortable with it and you sort of let it go. Mm -hmm. So when I joined, I had to let quite a few people go. I was fortunate that, you know, my father, knowing that I had been in Japan, you know, in, in, in business and in doing other things for a long period of time, wasn't against any of my decisions, you know, as, as he transitioned out. But yeah, if you don't have a team player, you, it's, you know, better than anybody really, I'm sure that it just doesn't, you know, we have to make the hard decisions and, and bite the bullet a little bit and do a little bit of heavy lifting when, you know, you lose someone that has been in the organization for a long time. But at the end of the day, it improves everyone's morale and it, um, and it improves the company as a whole. Team is huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I, you know, this is a different industry than I was in, you know, I did, again, I speak Japanese. And so I have met several machine shop owners in Japan and maintain regular communication with huh. them. And the way these guys run their businesses is just is very impressive. And it's fantastic. I mean, again, they go through the same things. Even machine shops that are not that big have employees that join them 
during that March, April time period, you know, the owners still wear the, the uniform of the company. They don't have cleaning services per se. You know, in a lot of these companies, the people come on Saturday morning and clean the shop floors. Space is extremely limited in Japan, even in, you know, where what mm. most of us know, you know, most machine shops are not in the middle of Tokyo or Osaka or anything like that. But even still in those you know, rural areas where they have the machine shops, still time is, space is limited. So, you know, they make the most use of space. So even with our shop, you know, people might say, oh, wow, you got a lot of machines under, you know, and in 14,000 square feet. But from my perspective, we still have room. Well, Hernan, this, I think our conversation has had so many nuggets, particularly for someone who is looking to buy a, shop around the size of where you took over Mm -hmm. from your father or someone who is looking to take over the shop, a generational change within an organization is there's so many opportunities for technology. And you talked about how you can systematically evolve these changes to grow and make the shop even more successful in a relatively short time than when you bought it and obviously the shop was successful but there's a different approach that that you're taking with it i think you've done an amazing job and i feel like you're only getting started and the best is yet to come so thanks appreciate yeah. it thank you for for opening up and sharing what you've done and some of your future plans definitely some some real gold here anything that we didn't cover that you want to get out to our listeners? Nothing that comes to mind at the, you know, I, I have an, a, a pretty much an open door policy. You know, of course I, I need to be careful, but I think it's super important for, you know, shop owners to communicate with one another because we're all struggling. It's a tough business. It's not easy and we're all learning. And I get a lot out of speaking to, you know, other pros out there. So I'm involved in the NTMA, for example, which gives me great opportunities to connect with other shop owners, see what they're doing, see what technologies they're using. There's so many things going on out there and everyone has a slightly different way of running their business that I just appreciate that, you know, this is, and any positives that, that we're doing right now has been brought on from interactions with others. You know, so, you know, that's, I think that's super important. And if anyone wants to connect with me in any way, I'm, I welcome it. How can they connect with you? What's the best way to reach you? Probably through email, which is my first name, Hernan, H-E-R-N-A-N, at, and then our company name, Ricarte Precision, R-I-C-A-U-R-T-E, precision.com. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, talking with an owner like Hernan is so much fun. It's invigorating to hear a story of transformation And one that I think that's happening across the country, probably even the world, as governments wake up and realize some goods should be made locally, not sourced overseas where the supply chain can be disrupted. Right. Yeah. You made some great comments on accounting and maybe a listener's not ready to go to Gap, but Mm -hmm. you really should own your own accounting, I think. Right. And understand the details of your profit or are you outsourcing everything to your CPA? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Get, get out of your comfort zone is also super important. For you, the listener, what steps can you do to make sure you control the details of your finances? Until next time, keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting. Smile and make it a great day. 
Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to the Job Shop Show.